I'm someone who loves trying out different makeup looks, but doesn't really wear much on a daily basis, so I like to focus on making sure I have high quality staples. And whether you like a fresh face, full glam, or somewhere in between, you've probably seen Thrive Cosmetics Viral Tubing Mascara. I've certainly seen it everywhere, you know the one in the turquoise tube? So that mascara, along with all of Thrive Cosmetics beauty products, are certified 100% vegan and cruelty-free, which I look for in makeup, and they've got excellent quality to match. And something I didn't know from all the mascara videos I've seen is that for every product sold, Thrive Cosmetics donates either that same product, another product that is needed more, or a monetary donation. They've worked with over 500 nonprofits to help with a wide range of causes like supporting cancer survivors, people experiencing homelessness, education access, and so much more. Knowing that makes me feel even better about using their products. And I do enjoy using them. Like I said, I like having high quality staples, and so my favorites are products that are multi-purpose, like the Brilliant Eye Brightener. It comes in a bunch of colors, and I like using them as eyeliner, eyeshadow, and even highlighter. Thrive Cosmetics is luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 20% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com thrive. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S, dot com slash thrive for 20% off your first order. Uh, you know, Rebel Radio is supported by Upside.com. If you travel for business like I do, man, I've been on the road. I was in Atlanta. Just the last month, I was in Atlanta, Mexico. I was in Napa, New York. I'm all over the place. And, uh, you know, anything that makes it easier or saves money is great. Upside.com does both. It's you, you, you can find the best prices on flights, hotels, rental cars. The service is amazing. You can contact them through the app, the website, phone, email, really any, any way you want to get a hold of them is, is pretty easy. And the craziest thing is there's gift cards to places like Amazon.com every time you make a purchase of business travel through, through them, not just the first time or anything like that. If you use my code REBEL, um, you'll get a minimum $100 gift card to Amazon.com, which is pretty wild. So go to Upside.com, use the code REBEL, and there's a minimum purchase required. See the site for details. Hey, it's uh, Josh Glazer from uh, the Rave Curious Podcast, and you're listening to Rebel Radio, another podcast. Fuck you, Josh. What's up? This is Rebel Radio. What up, what up? This is DJ Newmark. This is Tina Butterwolf. It's your boy. It's okay. Keep checking out Rebel Radio. Rebel Radio. This is Rebel Radio. We're in the place right here. Uh, Rebel Radio is going down. What do you say? Rebel Radio? Oh, wait. Let's do it again. Rebel Radio. What's up, y'all? Welcome back to Rebel Radio. I'm your host, Josh Levine. My man today is Josh Glazer in the studio with me. Uh, Josh and I are old friends. He used to be the editor at Herb Magazine when I was um, working there. And uh, we had a chance to, to work together on that and to um, we co-hosted a party called Loose Tooth back in the day with Steve Aoki and Frankie Chan. Uh, he's now gone on to edit the, uh, the Camp Magazine for Coachella. The Panorama magazine. He's got a, a great content copywriting um, business called Content Curious, and he's also the host of the Rave Curious podcast, where he talks to uh, techno and house DJs about uh, what they're doing. He, he tells us some great stories. Um, we, we get into the challenges of building a podcast, um, how how brands can kind of find their niche and uh, and how he's learned to get out of his comfort zone. I hope you enjoy this interview with Josh Glazer right after our EDM.com track of the week. I'm talking to you. I'm talking. I said I'm talking to you. I'm talking. I'm talking to you. I'm talking. I said 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 I'm talking to
Energy and Artifacts with a track called You, your EDM.com track of the week. Hey, uh, before we get into the interview, I know that we had announced Meta World Peace coming up on the LA Podcast Festival. We ended up doing a live interview on stage. Meta, unfortunately, was not able to make it. He had, uh, he had a conflict that came up, so we're going to have him on the show very soon. But uh, I ended up talking to Dave Anthony who is a great comedian and the host of The Dollop and one of the organizers of the LA Podcast Festival. So check for that live interview from LA Podcast Festival coming up soon. Uh, but right now, let's get into my interview with Josh Blaze. Um, well, dude, I'm, I'm excited to have you on. I, I appreciate you having me. It was... I, I got I got anxious. Like I know I, I asked you if I could come on. Yeah, I kind of felt like I was asking someone out. No, that's fun. <laughs> oh really? No, that's fun. Well, it's nice to be asked. It's been a, it's been a while. So it's yeah, one of the things you have a lot of social media profiles, which we're going to talk about. Oh, do I? Yeah, between content curious and rave curious. Yeah. And, okay. I, I guess they they've, they've so grown. So I'm interested to know how you manage all that. <laughs> Not very well. Okay. I cool. Think. So we'll get some lessons there. Um, but it's funny, so, you know, we've, we've known each other a long time. We met, I forget, what was that, 04 that you joined? Very me? end of 03. I moved, I moved out to L.A. To, to work at Herb. So you were new to L.A.? Yes. Okay. Yeah, so I literally, I had never been to L.A. I was, really? I, yeah, I, I, I grew up in Detroit. Yeah. Um, and it was while I was in Detroit, I started, you know, writing about electronic music as yeah. well as, you know, throwing parties and doing all kinds of other stuff. Yeah. Um, and at one point I started writing for Herb because of Scott Sterling, mm -hmm. um, who was another Detroit guy mm -hmm. who had, Scott was a couple years older than me. And it was funny, even from like the very first thing I wrote for in Detroit in like late, in the late nineties, Scott had been the editor of, but he had Orbs. already, oh, yeah. uh, it was called Orbit. It was a magazine okay. called Orbit. Okay. And then Scott had moved right, to Chicago yeah. at that point. Yeah. But people were like, oh, you're the new Scott Sterling, i.e. you're the new guy writing about techno in Detroit. Sure. Um, and then I moved to Chicago very briefly for about a year mm. um, and met a bunch of people who knew Scott. But at that point, Scott was already in L.A. working for Herb. Um, so I kind of wrote his coattails nice. for, for, for a couple years and, and kind of everywhere I went, I was like, oh, you're the new Scott Sterling, you're the new Scott Sterling. Yeah. And then finally, uh, yeah, in fall of 2003, Scott um, offered me a job at Herb. And so I literally did the, you know, put everything I own in my my Kia. Nice. And, and you know, recruited a friend to come along and did that, you know, that cross-country drive for oh, the first time. Cool. And, you know, the, the, the thing I remember the most arriving in L.A. is, you know, we, we, we did a stop in Vegas for a night. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And woke up with the the you know the kind of hangover you can only have after a night in Vegas while road tripping all the way across uh -huh. the country. Apparently, like punches were thrown in a fat burger. I don't really remember. <laughs> um, but there was there was wildfires, oh, wow. so the freeway was closed. <clears throat> so what should have been the five hour drive to Vegas took nineteen hours on desert roads. Awesome. And so yeah, that was and that was wow. So yeah, with those are fun times. Sneaker sneaker parties yeah, and. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that kind of stuff. Absolutely. They still do those, I think. I just do don't they? go to them. I don't know. I did. I did go to. Um. I, I did go out uh, earlier this week to No Name on Fairfax. Oh, to see Raymond. Yeah, yeah. Right across from Supreme. And I was too tired. It was. It was nice. I was. I no, was no, surprised. I yeah. Go yeah. No, I, I mean, I try. I definitely understand being too tired. Yeah. That's ninety percent of the times I, I plan on going out. Sure. But. But it was cool. There was a, a lot of people. It was like kind of one of those you know rare occasions where I walk in. I was like, it's like oh, there's like 50 people here, and 20 of them are people I want to talk to, which which almost never happens anymore. Yeah. So it was cool. That's but my cool. point was there was also a hundred people in line outside of Supreme. Oh, it's amazing. Um, which I think is just a permanent line now. Always right. There's just always people outside Supreme. It's crazy. 
And I mean, I get it. Like, I, I still remember, you know, back back in, in, in my day, we would have to wait in line overnight to get concert tickets. Yeah. And that, like, that, that was a blast. Like, I was like, like, what'd like, you wait in line for? Like, the first Lollapalooza. Oh, really? It's like summer of 91. Yeah. Like, I remember, cool. yeah, it was maybe like 100 people, like, yeah. hanging out in the parking lot of a Harmony House overnight. And, you know, and it's 100 people you want to hang out with because it's the yeah. 100 people who want to go to go see Nine Inch Nails and, yeah, and Henry like Rollins. That, that's a that's a cultural experience. Well, A, that's gone except for sure. Supreme, right, and Apple. Like, you're yeah. not waiting in line for anything anymore. But also, I feel like that, I never had that just because, like, I don't care enough about anything to wait in line. <laughs> like, I think the last thing I waited in line for was, like, Star Wars when it first came out. Right. And when even was, then, you just, you got there to get, you're there, like, well, an I hour waited because my mom seat. was waiting. Like, I was five years old. Oh, you're talking, anything. like, the first, first yeah, Star the first Wars. Star okay. Wars. Uh, but, like, I concerts, I went to concerts because, like, someone else got the tickets, and I could just pay them back, and it was, okay. like, super easy. How would... Tell me, how'd you first get into music? What was the first? Do you remember the first record? Oh you bought? man, um, I remember. There, there's a couple. I, I, you know, I, I know there was like certain things I made my parents play over and over and over again, but but nothing sophisticated. What was I, it like? What? Like uh, the theme to the Greatest American Hero was a big one. Such a good <laughs> song. That was a great show and a great song. Yeah, uh, Roxanne. Roxanne Roxanne okay. was was a big one. Nice. Somehow that was like the, the one hip hop that that slid right? in there. Yeah. It was like that, Mr. Roboto. Okay. Um, but then I I. But you didn't go buy those. You didn't go. I, I did, or yeah, I did, but it yeah. was it was completely random. It was like yeah. I would hear a song somewhere and be like, I want that. But yeah. I couldn't have been more than two dozen records over the course of, you know, the first 10 years of my life. It sure. wasn't. Although I do remember um, probably around age eight or nine, there was, you know, my grandparents came to visit. And one of the traditional, my grandparents came to visit, they'd take me and my little brother to Toys R Us and mm -hmm. get a toy. And that's, you know, a tr Sunday happens whenever, you know, they come to visit. And we went to Toys R Us, and we went you know, up and down all the aisles, and I there was nothing I wanted. What I wanted was this breakdancing compilation. Yeah, that was that we went next door to Walgreens or whatever to buy, and I don't even sure. know how we knew it was there. Maybe we did, and I just had this notion that I wanted music, not yeah. you know, I, I don't want GI Joe, I want right. UTFO or whatever. Right. Um, then around age thirteen, I remember going to visit at that point. Um, going to visit some family friends and somebody played me Sgt. Pepper's mm -hmm. like in the car because we were driving somewhere and I was like, oh, that's what I'm going to be about now. Yeah. And literally like going to, you know, like finding my parents' four Beatles albums and then going to the neighbors and borrowing all of their Beatles albums and slowly building up a collection and then, you know, get, just kind of going through the whole classic rock thing. How much does that happen now? Uh, like, I feel like, you know, we were... Part of our discovery of music was like past generations of music. Oh, sure. Right. So we didn't grow up with the Beatles, but our parents did. Right. And, you know, whatever. And you discovered a lot of that. I discovered my grandmother's music later on, which was a bunch of jazz and oh, wow. swing and all that. And I didn't like all of it. And it certainly wasn't it certainly wasn't my music, but I found pieces in there that were interesting. Ex yeah, exactly. Whatever. You just start kind of listening to stuff and yeah. You know, borrowing, borrowing but the I, neighbors' records, and but I don't know. Like, I wonder how much of that still happens. I, I mean, I'm at, it can't. Like, you know, you can't watch all of the good shows on TV. Oh, not even close. And this is the only time in history when that's happened. So, what was the first music that felt like your music? Uh, I was, I was lucky enough to turn 16 in 1991. Okay. So, the, which Sonic Youth astutely titled mm. in their their documentary that I don't think is around anymore. Um, it's, you know, 1991, the year punk broke. Okay. So that was the year that, well, the big thing was Nevermind happened. And I was, I was a little ahead of the curve on that, as in, you know, I had a friend who had a friend whose brother had a like a tenth generation cassette of Nevermind mm. six months before it came out or three months before. I just remember being yeah. played it a lot. Um, and at that you know, me and my friend, we had already kind of we were already in the Ramones and Minor Threat, and we had discovered you know other sub pop bands, Mud Honey, mm -hmm. and and stuff like that. But 
know, I saw Pearl Jam play before their first album came out. Right. Um, the first band on the bill was Pearl Jam, Smashing Pumpkins, Touring Gish, and Red Hot Chili Peppers wow. touring Blood Sugar Sex Magic. Yeah. And that Pearl Jam, you know, first band. And halfway through the first, you know, first band comes on, mm-hmm. venues mostly empty. Everyone's mm-hmm. just, you know, talking and whatever. And halfway through the first song, it was just silence. And by the end, Eddie Vedder's like walking on the heads of the crowd. And it's like like one of those truly like epic yeah. rock and roll moments. So I was lucky, like kind of the year I got my driver's license, the year I got that freedom. I talked about that first Lollapalooza. That was the first concert I ever drove myself to. Oh, it was like cool. two weeks after I got my driver's license. Yeah. So I got to... And I mean, this is going to sound ridiculous, but literally I went to that concert, sat on the hill, took mm-hmm. my childhood Star Wars blanket, you know, just because you need something to sit on. You're going to you know, be at a concert sure. all day. And during Jane's Addiction, people started little garbage fires on the hill. And it literally there was like people lighting fires on the hill and people ran around it. And I literally threw my childhood blanket into the fire. <laughs> like You could not get more melodramatic as far as like, sure. you know passing yeah, yeah. you know childhood is over this right. is now what's going on That's so amazing. so that was really the first yeah. and i mean pretty significant that it was it was during a time where it wasn't just me personally it was a mm-hmm. you know major cultural shift mm-hmm. that happened what's up y'all i'm very excited to tell you about a new sponsor for rebel radio I've been a fan of audible.com for years. I probably have, I don't know, at least 100 books in my library. Um, I'm into fiction, I'm into business books, I'm into self-help, personal development. That's most of my listening. And audible.com has an incredible selection, unmatched. Um, Really, any any book that I've looked for, I've generally found it. Uh, The last book I I just finished listening to was called 10% Happier by Dan Harris. He's an ABC Evening News anchor, and he talked about discovering meditation after having a live panic attack on TV. It's a great story, kind of taught me a bit about meditation and just really entertaining. I I recommend that book, and I definitely recommend signing up for audible.com. I listen uh, when I go to the gym. I listen on, on my way to work, on my commute. If I'm on a plane, you guys know I travel a lot, so I basically turn all that sitting around time into reading time, listening time, and it gives me the opportunity. I'll probably go through a book a week. Get over to audible.com slash rebel. There's a special offer for a 30-day free trial. You can discover audible.com for yourself. Definitely leave us a note and let us know what you're listening to. I'd love to hear that. And uh, make sure you make good use of it. Audible.com slash rebel. And then what made you want to write about music? Is that, <laughs> yeah. is that how you started? Like, Yeah, no. Was that, your, was that your the beginning of your career? Yeah. I mean, that started really early. I basically, um, well, okay, uh, in college, I had, you know, I played in some crappy bands and I started going what to some play? raves. I played guitar. Okay. Played guitar, sang a little. Yeah. Yeah. Um, nice. Put out a put out a seven inch. Oh, really? That, that no one's allowed to hear. Oh, that's cool. <laughs> um, but, uh. But yeah, so you know, I kind of went through all that, and at Punk. some point, yeah, indie, yeah. L- l- lot of lot lot of pavement influence, uh-huh. lot of lot of Fugazi, okay, um, stuff like that. Um, okay. you know, played shows. You know, I went to Michigan State, so played shows around East Lansing. Yeah. you know, a couple gigs in Detroit. Yeah, um, yeah, and then started you know started going. You know, discovered rave like techno a little late. Was mm-hmm. like I think the summer I turned twenty or twenty one was when late I get into that. Detroit. Late for Detroit, yeah. I mean, yeah. 1995, yeah. so not late, yeah, but, yeah. you know, everyone, yeah. most of the people my age started when they were, like, 17, 18. Right. I, was, I was a bit older. Yeah. Um, and what was the first rave you went to? The first, I mean, or I went. How did you, how'd you discover that? Okay, so, <laughs> I mean, when I was in high school, so, like, we're talking, like, 17, I stumbled into one or two things um, where, like, it, it was, like, the white guy walks in the door and it's like, if it was a movie you would have heard the needle go uh-huh. off the record. Cause it was like, you know, Detroit yeah. black, you know, techno. And mm-hmm. I didn't even understand that there were, I didn't understand there was a DJ playing records. Mm-hmm. I understood. I had no concept of what was going on. I just knew 
you know, I had, I had a friend whose mom worked with this guy who, you know, at this like insurance company, but at night he ran a sound system. And oh, cool. it was just kind of like this. So this like you just kind of know a guy that knows a guy and you come to this thing. Turns out this guy had actually built the sound system for the music institute. Which, you know, right. you, you learn all these things, you know, yeah. looking back. You're like, oh, so this one's just some, and, you know, he was like 24 when I met him. He was like 16 mm-hmm. when he built the speakers for the Music Institute. And he did it because his sister was dating Derek May, who was all of 20 at the time. Right. So, yeah. um, but, you know, I know none of this. I just know like, oh, I can stay out late. Like, my parents are out of town, so I don't have a curfew. And, mm-hmm. oh, my buddy knows this thing downtown, so we'll just go. Um, and then I went off to school and some stuff happened and I kind of got, you know, alienated from that mm. right at the time when the first wave of suburban kids were getting into it. It's like the first Richie Houghton parties mm-hmm. and, you know, 93, 94, 95. Yeah. Um, there was, you know, there was a girl involved and I just, I, I walked away from the whole thing, washed my hands of it. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to stay, I'm going to stay punk. You ravers are, are too crazy. Yeah. And then within a year or two, you're kind of drawn back in. Sure. Um, so, you know, then yeah, 95 got, ended up randomly going to, Toronto and staying up for two days and going to my first, you know, rave mm. in, in air quotes. Yeah. Um, I was like, oh, I get it. Like, you know, staying up all night and altering your your senses and dancing. And mm-hmm. that, that this is really cool. Um, and then two weeks later, three weeks later, there was a party in a field in Windsor right across from Detroit where it okay. was Jeff Mills and Richie Houghton. Mm. And I still meet people today that like. Like a lot of them went to this party. Yeah. Like it was, a, it was kind of a, you know, again within that small niche, yeah. uh, a yeah. big deal. Uh, so that's how that's how I first discovered it. I don't remember the question at this oh, point. But... What, what made you start writing? Oh, writing, yes. Um, so also around that time, you know, I finished school and I you know moved back to Detroit and I was just you know I was hanging out and I was doing the the KBA thing, the Camel Cigarette. Oh yeah, promotion. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Yes, okay. which, you know, for I, I, this blows people's mind if they're under 30 that they can't imagine. Like there was a time where you would pay. You know, I would walk into a bar. You could smoke in bars. Yeah. And I would walk into a bar with a giant bag full of cigarettes and I would hand out cigarettes to people. I would give the bartender mm-hmm. cigarettes. I would I would give customers cigarettes. We would literally just go around pushing camel cigarettes. Yeah. And that it was, was big business. I have a lot of friends from. KBA. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was it was based in Chicago, yeah. so we were really you know well connected, and they yeah. would, had these insane budgets to throw parties. So much money. We would we would have like you know have to throw a ten thousand dollar party at this like punk rock veterans bar in downtown Detroit. Yeah, it's like you know how do you spend ten thousand dollars? Like we would literally <laughs> right. like like stress like how are we yeah, gonna yeah. spend all this money? Yeah. Um, you know, book the roots to come play a you know, private bartenders only mm-hmm. event with open bar and free food and, mm-hmm. you know, on a Monday night just because we had to get, <laughs> we had to get yeah. through all this money. Absolutely. Um, and then around that time, you know, so I was doing that at night and doing okay, but I kind of needed a day job. Mm-hmm. And at, right at that moment, um, there was a new alt weekly that was starting up in Detroit. Like, you know, Detroit always had the Metro Times, mm-hmm. which was the old school one along, you know, kind of like the LA Weekly or the yeah. Chicago Reader, Village Voice, yeah. whatever. Um, and there was a new one starting to, to compete with the Metro Times. And so they asked me to, you know, if, if I want to sell ads oh, for yeah. them. And so I'm like, like going to every bar sure. in Detroit trying to sell ads for a magazine that doesn't exist. Yeah. You know, come on, give me a hundred bucks. <laughs> kind of hustle. And then right before they... Uh, they were about to launch. They were kind of like, oh, we want to cover this this techno thing. This was like 98, 99. Mm-hmm. And they're like, you know, and, and the guy who they had hired to be the editor kind of looked at me. He's like, hey, you got you, – you're friends with DJs, right? And I'm like, yeah. Like, you, you want to interview one? Nice. <laughs> and so that's that's literally how it started. I, I had no aspirations to be a writer. Yeah. Um, who was your first interview? It was actually – it's my best friend, Derek Plesleko. And that's kind of how we met. I mean, yeah. like, it's funny. I knew him. He apparently, again, in retrospect, found out he didn't really know me. Right. Um, but yeah, so you know, and I was it was the first person I had ever interviewed, and he, I was it was the first time he had ever been interviewed. So, yeah. you know, we popped each other's cherries in that regard. Nice. Um, and yeah, are, are still you know really close friends. You, when when did when did you kind of look in the rearview mirror and go, oh, this is like this is how I'm gonna make a living? Um, probably around the time I left Detroit, yeah. 
which was, you know, initially to go to Chicago, just, you know, kind of make a change. And then when, when it came time to, you know, move out to L.A. and work for Herb, that's when it all suddenly got very real and very serious. Nice. Um, the time in Detroit, which was, you know, in, in reality a fairly brief time, four or five years, but very, you know, consequential during that time, I, you know, I promoted the big techno club in Detroit mm-hmm. called Motor. Mm-hmm. Um me and my buddy kind of we went from KBA and through that we knew the owners of the club and yeah. as there was some movement of staff they kind of brought us in and next thing I knew we were literally sitting in the basement in the office going through these folders trying to read the chicken scratch of the old booker mm-hmm. for the club and trying mm-hmm. to figure out just like how do you book a DJ right <laughs> and like nice. uh, who do who, like who do we like I got this right. mixed CD from this guy DJ Hell yeah. uh, who's from Germany let's try to book him I really love this CD kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, just winging it. Yeah. Um, that same, you know, and that was you know, nine months later, Carl Craig threw the first Detroit Electronic Music Festival and we had a stage and we were kind of ended up involved in production. And mm-hmm. I'm, you know, downtown, you know, Detroit at three in the morning, literally trying to like construct staging and, and running mixers across the Canadian border and just just doing all this crazy stuff. Yeah. Um, and, and just not even looking, not not never, you know, at that age, you don't stop and look around and go like, oh, we're, you know, you're every, you're very self-important, sure. but you don't necessarily see the importance of what you're doing. You're just, you're doing it because you want it to happen. Right. And I think especially in a place like Detroit, where there is no industry for this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. So there, there is no real context. Like, you, you know, you know, mm-hmm. New York exists and, you know, L.A. exists. And yeah, clearly there is a business mm-hmm. for this stuff. Um, but coming from a place like Detroit where there really is no business, you don't, you don't ever take that, that view. It's more just like, can, you know, are we, are we not going to lose money? Can we, can we, yeah, you know, yeah, sure. pay our $150 rent this month? And, you know, and then you just, you just get on with it. And so is that, um, is that a strategy? Like, <laughs> no, but I, like I asked that, like, I've heard a lot of stories that kind of start that way. Just like, oh, I just started doing this thing. And then, I mean, my, my story is not that different, right? Like, it, it, it's just something you do, and then it becomes a business. Yeah. And, and again, it's funny because I, I did not know your personal history so well until yeah. I heard, you know, the episode of, yeah, yeah, of this yeah. you did with, with Dennis. Yeah. Um, so. Yeah, and there's a lot of similarities, right? And so, but, I, but I'm curious, like, you know, would you, uh, you know, if you were – Talking to college students, would you tell them that just, go just, out and wing it and just do it? You know, figure it out. Yeah, I mean, I I don't know how else to do it, mm-hmm. and I don't know that I know anybody that really knows how else to do it. I think certain people learn mm-hmm. the language. Yeah. Okay, so I want to talk to you about this. Yeah. This was on, this has been on my mind recently. Um, the 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 notion of you know the. Agency guys, right? And and you know you you're an agency guy, I guess. Uh, yeah, exactly. I I'm I'm maybe kind of an agency guy, depending yeah. on the day of the week, right? And and you know the conversation I'm having, but there does seem to be this language mm-hmm. that gets developed, this this jargon, sure. And that's that's common for any industry. Yeah. You know, that's how you tell who's in and who's out. Absolutely. Um, but I think for what we do, there. The jargon is not as necessary. Like, if you're going to be a a neuroscientist, yeah. you can't fake your way into being a neuroscientist. Right. You can't fake your way into being an accountant. You yeah. can't fake your way into being a doctor or lawyer or whatever. Mm-hmm. Most people can fake their way into being in the you know entertainment industry or the creative yeah. you know, the create a creative industry. I think so, um, and I think part of that is because you know. Doctors and accountants and whoever have uh, systems set up to keep people out. Right. Right. Whereas entertainment doesn't. Right. So there's right. no degree or certification or, right. you know, board government. Well, and the reason being is because you literally, you, you can't be a doctor without the certification. Like, that's what I mean. Right? Like, you, you it, couldn't do the job. Right. You couldn't. And it, and it, you know. So, for whatever reason, certain jobs are deemed important enough. That we have to keep people out who don't have a certain, right. who haven't demonstrated their ability at a certain level, right? So yeah, but I, I don't think it's so. It's so much that we consider it important. It's just the reality that 
you cannot save a life. Like, let's say a doctor, for example. I could be a doctor today, a really bad one. You would be a really bad doctor. Yeah. And you're right. There are really bad entertainers. Well, <laughs> entertainers. That's, but that's kind of what I'm saying, right, is that um, – uh, you know, you could go sit in a doctor's office and probably, like, depending on your, what, like, probably most <laughs> of your patients won't die. And some of them might even get better because all they needed was, was aspirin and you pat them on aspirin, the back and, right? You get lucky enough times <laughs> until you don't, right? But what I'm saying is that for, for entertainment uh, and a lot of other jobs, mm-hmm. right? Like, yeah, there's no real barrier to entry. So learning the language is, in a sense, learning to do the job. Well enough, right? At a, but at a but I, I would say the you know, the success to fail ratio is what you look at. The success to fail ratio of being an accountant who doesn't know math is is going to be pretty significant, as opposed to the success to fail ratio of somebody who you know never trained on a musical instrument, sure, but you know through just creativity and perseverance or whatever, you know, learned how to be in a band. Well, I I think so. I think there's the the difference is like in certain industries, there's a right and wrong. Right. And and then there's right. And in creative businesses, it's much more gray. Mm-hmm. Right. And, you know, who knows what's the best record ever made. Right. Right. on Because there's not really an objective measure of that. Yeah. And then it also it blends with marketing, which, you know, there's the old saying half of marketing works. Right. The problem is nobody knows which half. Right. And and I think yeah, you know that's and, still fundamentally true even but, in this day think, of analytics. But I think part of why so much marketing doesn't work is because there's so many people in it who don't know what they're doing. So it's I think those things okay. are related. I think that the um, you can bad marketing is not hard to spot, right? We can all look around and see things that that there's no way that's going to motivate someone to buy something. But we see it every day, right? Mm-hmm. And, sure. Uh, and it only is a factor of how much attention, how closely you're paying attention to those things that that you can really understand them. So, you know, I've always felt like I'm in, a, you know, I work in an industry where most people are not good at their jobs and most people don't know whether or not they're good at their jobs. Right. Right, because we're not able to see that you know you can't put somebody on an operating table and see that it's, they survived yeah, exactly right and so you do this campaign and probably it doesn't come out exactly the way that you planned it because of all these factors that mm-hmm. impact execution and then you know 6 months or 2 years later that company is either doing better or worse or the same as and before and it's impossible to tell though and there's so much so many inputs that affect that. yeah I would imagine, and it gets it gets more confusing if the type of marketing you do leans towards, you know, the arts sure. side of it. Yeah, so it's that you factor in, you know, is so you got the the two two unknowns working for you. You got, you know, is the marketing working for you, and then is the is the art that is driving absolutely the marketing is it is it good or bad? Yeah, and um, you know, I mean, that was that was a huge thing when I when I moved here and started working for Herb. That was really the height of I don't want to say the height, but like. You guys were were doing all this stuff with Scion, yeah. and I remember going, you know, going to these crazy events where it's like, you know, cars painted by these you know famous graffiti artists who mm-hmm. I had never heard of, mm-hmm. and you know these these rappers and you know who, sure. who I had never heard of who it turns out oh it's just you know J- JD and Madlib right. and you know just yeah. like and I was like what is this world that that yeah. that is happening out here because I had no experience with that i i came to la as a detroit techno raver i'm still not sure why they hired me (laughs) to run a magazine you know magazine well the magazine you know it had that element herb had that you know electronic music heritage but it also had equally this you know underground hip-hop thing but that was i think you know so first of all i think that was a specific time in in culture and marketing and and the way Mm -hmm. that those fit together that you could have these little niches that nobody heard of and yet were really meaningful to to other people. Yeah. Um, you know, and that's kind of why what we did made sense at that time is because the world was organized in that way, right? And, I, you know, I've said this before that, you know, when, when we first started, I used to go into to brands and tell them that, like, 
you don't realize that there's a lot of people that don't watch MTV. Right. But there's a lot of people that don't watch MTV, and you're not talking to those people. Mm -hmm. And the only way you can get to them is through me and Raymond and, like, a couple other guys. Sure, sure. You know, Rob Stone. And there's, like, a handful of us in the country that if you don't know us, you don't know how to reach these millions of kids. Yeah. And that was a true statement, right? And so that's not true anymore, right? Like, there are no gatekeepers in that sense. And, you know, a savvy marketer could do an afternoon's worth of research online and find all of these cultures and find a way in. And, you know, the, those communities are now accepting of brand money and brand involvement in a way that they weren't 15 years ago either. Right? Yeah. And so, you know, we had to convince people to take money from a car company, right, that it wasn't going to be some cheesy thing like they'd seen, you know, other, other companies do. Yeah. So um, all that's changed, right? And uh, and I think it's changed in a way that complicates things sort of even more, right? Because the the line between, I mean, I'm on a daily basis. I'm like, I don't know if that's credible or not, and no one seems to care, right? <laughs> like it's just not, you know, right. the idea of selling out or credibility or or staying, you know. That seems to not be part of the zeitgeist today. Yeah, you know it's funny. I'm I'm starting to see it a little, and again, maybe it's just in, in the little corners of the internet where I roam. Yeah. Um, I I've been catching it a lot lately with Boiler Room. Um, interesting. That there's, you know, the, there's definitely this this thread in there where people are starting to get like, oh, Boiler Room's selling the underground to Red Bull, which first of all is ridiculous because Red Bull has been sponsoring yeah. electronic music. For Never. longer than uh, these commenters have been, you know. Longer than Boiler Rooms existed. Longer than Boiler. Yeah. I mean, I remember in the 90s, yeah. like, Red Bull was this mythical drink from oh. Europe that we couldn't even get in America. And, you know, and and apparently they, they apparently it keeps you, you know, partying all night. And they pay for all these crazy parties. And, yeah. you know, when we're in Detroit with a $500 budget trying to do something, you know, yeah. cool for 50 people – and you're looking at what's going on in these, you know, Europe with these giant festivals, and you know, Red Bull seems to be, you know, one of the the things that's driving all of it. Yeah. Um, so, um, you know, you're still a journalist. I know you do the Camp Magazine for Coachella. Yeah. Um, as well as other journalist projects. Yeah. Um, and now you've got it. It's it's called content now. <laughs> right. It's rarely rarely journalism. Um, in 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 the sense that I think most people think of, which is fine, by the way. Yeah, sure. But sure, I, I so by that I take that the the critical voice is not there, right? Because nobody cares if I think something's you know thumbs up or thumbs down. Nor nor should they probably yeah, at, yeah, at, d- at this I, point. But okay. I disagree with that. But we'll we'll leave that. Yeah. I like like I think people need to say people need to be told what to ignore. Perhaps, perhaps but, I I think inclusion is yeah, I get it I, I I well and I also think there's a place for that. So if you're at Coachella, and you pick up this magazine, like that's probably not like the place to shit on uh, somebody who's playing Coachella. <laughs> of, course. Of, of course, no, yeah. and it's that with the, you know, and nor do I take pleasure in doing that. Um, I get it. you know, there was definitely a time where you know, and again, this you know, back back to the herb days where there was certain artists who were part of the culture. So if the artist did something new, we, you know, felt the yeah, need to critique. And sometimes yeah. it was great and we'd be like, they're still awesome. And sometimes it wasn't. Yeah. And you could say that. Yeah. And you had this responsibility to Absolutely. the the readers who who want to know. Sure. Um, something like, you know, Camp Magazine, which we've done for Coachella and every year is eight years now. Mm-hmm. Um, it's fun finding the stories Absolutely. that you want to tell. Yeah. And, and you want to get people excited about you know, this artist or, you know, this artisanal taco stand yeah. or, you know, yeah. and on the one hand, it's, totally. it's, you know, you can look at his promotion, you know, promotion's the the kind of cynical way to say it. Sure. But, you know, I, I love, you know, contextualizing yeah. stuff in a way that I don't think it gets contextualized a lot now, you know, and people, you know, for me, some of my favorite records or some of my favorite concerts, my favorite whatever, were really put into context by reading about them later mm-hmm. um, or reading about them before, you know, reading oh. a, a, a review of a record, if well-written, literally influenced how I heard that record 
for the better. Or I can't say for the better, but yeah, it just it influenced. And so it's it's, yeah. it's part of the fabric. No, I totally agree. Um, I totally agree. And actually, it's interesting, you know, to have a, a magazine about a festival because you know, you're there in person, right? So right. you would think, well, why do I need to read about this? But, you know, my experience as someone who's been to Coachella, you know, 10 plus times, mm-hmm. is that there's I don't see most of it. Sure. You know, I miss most of yeah. it. And forget about the people that didn't go, but, I, you know, I'm there for three days and I miss most of it. Um, and so having some guidance as to what to not miss is helpful and also like having some smaller experience of the things I did miss is helpful. Right, right. So yeah, I, I think all that's really interesting. But so 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 we're moving into content. Right. Um, so there's so yeah, there's there's projects like that and we yeah. did, you know, I did a did somewhere magazine for Panorama Festival. Oh, cool. Not this year but the year before and mm-hmm. um you know, it was I was really honored the, the when the new Coachella website went up last year, they had a they had a little essence of Coachella statement. Oh, cool. And I got to write it. And it's, nice. I don't remember what it says. And it, it's like three sentences. But knowing those guys so well and, yeah. and knowing the level of, of you know, detail that goes into everything with that festival, um, the, the fact that, like, I got to do that. Yeah. And, and they were like, yeah, this is great. This, you know, we this is what we want front and center on our, on our homepage. I was nice. like, it's like, oh, that, like, that was that was an honor to get to write something like that. Um I love that, and it reminds me of kind of the old rave days where, you know, I used to have this conversation with marketers who, you know, are very, copywriting is about being, you know, concise and the call mm-hmm. to action, and, you know, you have five seconds of someone's attention, et cetera. Sure. And then, you know, I used to bring these rave flyers that were 18 <laughs> by 24. They were posters, yeah. basically. Yeah, with 40 DJs. With so much copy. Mm-hmm. Right? And there were paragraphs about the venue and this crazy space that they found and the, the whole ethos and, and philosophy of these weird hippies behind the festival. Yeah. And I just thought, like, you know, this is like the, you know, it's the antithesis of, of the way that things are happening in kind of mainstream culture. Right. That, that some kid who's planning on a big drug weekend is just going to sit there and read you know, five pages worth of material yeah. printed on this flyer, and they would. Yeah, and, and this isn't new. I mean, this yeah. was, you know, jazz albums had, yeah. the entire back cover was yeah. was liner notes. Right. You know, it's, I, I think that's, you know, it, if you want to, if, if you're the type of person who wants to enter a world, then, yeah, you want all this stuff. You want these, yeah. these, this, you know, things to read, or, you know, you want to delve in and, and really get the context for the whole thing. Um, Berghain in Berlin yeah. still does that every month when they put out their flyer. Really, there's um, it, it, somebody writes like an essay, and it 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 kind of cool. is a it's kind of about the club and it's kind of about the culture, but yeah. obviously they've been doing it. You know, they well over a hundred of these now. The club's yeah. been around for like twelve years, and you oh, know, and so cool. and they but they this great essay that yeah. that comes with it and. Nice. You know, you go. I think I, I think it's just in German on the mm-hmm. physical, but if you go online, there's usually an English translation. Um, but yeah, like it's creating those kind of worlds is great if you have a world to create. Sure. If you're if 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 that's what you're doing, uh, you know, a Coachella or a you know a rave or a you know, gay fetish techno sex fortress in Berlin mm-hmm. or whatever it is, if you have a world and and this is what you're curating, making this sort of, you know, what might seem like too much right. content yeah. is just the right amount. Interesting. Um, and I, th- but if, yeah, if you're, if you're, you know, if you're so, selling batteries, right. then you, you, you probably don't need it. Well, that's what I want to understand is like, how do you, how do you apply those lessons and that thinking? Like, what is it that brands need to understand about storytelling and content that they don't? I think they need to a lot of them just need to recognize that they there is a story and you just need to get outside of your day-to-day grind of you know making the widgets right. to find what the story of the widget is and and most you know odds are the the guy whose job is to sell the widgets is not going to be the type of guy who thinks about the story of the widget and that's you know that's right. what sure. you know that's what something like content curious is for is is helping people find these stories and I'm always amazed at, at the stories 
you can find. And mm. I think we're, we're I think we're in kind of a golden era for that. I think podcasting has really driven that. You know, the the, yeah. the eighty NPR podcasts, or you know the. I mean, what's the one? Ninety nine percent invisible. Uh-huh. Literally, that's what it's about. It's the really interesting story behind the most seemingly uninteresting thing. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, it's funny you say that because I think there is, there is a story. I don't know. I'm, I'm a little bit cynical in that regard because, okay. because well, because I've sat with so many marketers who, um, you know, the story is like we want to sell this product because we made it. Right. Right. And like. Sure. Uh, and and so. So I think it's not always that there's a story to the product creation itself. No, no, there doesn't have to be a story behind the widget. Yeah. But odds are somewhere out there. Nor, nor would anybody who might want to buy a widget probably care where the widget comes from. Unless, yeah. it, you know, unless it's. You know, Elon Musk and the rise of the electric car and like that kind of, you know, massive story. You're right. Most widgets. Who who cares how the widget got made? It was. Yeah. Um, but people aren't buying the widget because of how, how it was made. They're buying the widget because what the widget can do for them. Mm-hmm. So that's where the story is, because odds are there's already somewhere out there doing something freaking awesome with this widget. Mm-hmm. And so maybe that's the story is finding, you know, what the widget does for somebody else, and then it you know it becomes aspirational, and yeah. you know your potential customers are like, well, I want that out of my life, so the widget will will get me there. And I think it's just you know then it it becomes you know it it's yes, could you try to just say that in a pithy five words and you know get somebody excited to so go and buy? Sure, that's how most marketing works. Right. But another alternative is to get into this you know kind of realm of deeper storytelling mm-hmm. and I, I do think that there is there seems to be an appetite for that right now um, who, who do you think that is doing the best job of that I mean you know Golden Sachs has a podcast really yeah and it, I think it's fairly popular yeah um, you know eBay is sponsoring some interesting like sci-fi podcasts um, there, there's some big companies getting into this yeah um you know this this world. Um, I think also you know not just magazines. You know I see I see print stuff that's like sponsored by, you know it just has a single sponsor. You can hardly tell. I you know I'm a, I'm a huge fan of print and and whenever, um, you know we started reading for the most recent time the print is dead, like. What strike what struck me is that, um, you know selling. Uh, Selling ads based on the sheer number of, of eyeballs yeah. is dead and should be dead. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it, it's weird. So I was, in, I was at a newsstand the other day and I saw Airbnb magazine. That makes total and sense. I just thought, this is fucking brilliant. When I, when I hear something like that, I just think, I know that girl. I should yeah. be making that magazine. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> but, totally, of course. But, or yeah. I can listen to a podcast while sure. I'm doing a hundred other things and get that information. You yeah. know, depending on what the information is. But yeah, yeah the whole the whole passive audio thing um, is really exciting. And mm-hmm. you know, I mean, you know, that's why I'm happy to be here. And you know, it's one of the reasons why I started my podcast. And I've told you this before. You know, you were kind of the not the inspiration, but kind of the the final push I needed to nice. make this idea. Because I remember we, we yeah. had coffee like two years yeah, ago, yeah, and you were yeah. like, "Yeah, I'm starting a podcast." I'm like, "Man, I've been thinking about doing a podcast." I kind of walk by. I'm like, "You know what? If Levine's doing one, well, obviously, if I can do it, like, <laughs> it's not that difficult." Um, no, if Levine's doing one, that means it's not a stupid idea. Oh, okay, <laughs> was, it was how right, I how that. I thought about that. I'll take that. Um, so yeah, um, why did you start the podcast? Um, I started the podcast. Well, I have a podcast. See, yeah. I'm not that great of a marketer. I forget to even Rave Curious. Rave Curious is the podcast. Um and I, I started it because I was loving podcasts. Mm-hmm. They they had become so ingrained in, in my day to day. And like so many people, you know, Mark Marin was the first podcast I got into. Oh, really? And so, you know, what what's the obvious idea? Like I'll become the Mark Marin of techno. Yeah. Um, and I started, you know, at that same time I was, I was living in Berlin where all my friends are DJs mm-hmm. and I knew I was getting ready to leave Berlin and move back to LA. 
because um, I had met my now wife and you know was kind of ready for that chapter of my life. Mm-hmm. And so I just started inviting my DJ friends over and talking for an hour and recording the conversations. You know, bought some decent mics and yeah. you know just sat in my my living room and it was great. Like the first person to come over was Radio Slave. Mm-hmm. Um, who's an amazing, you know, pillar of this this community and also happened to be my neighbor. That's and so, yes, I just I recorded a bunch, not even sure what I was going to do with them. Yeah. Um, and right as I moved back here, you know, I was in touch with some of the people at Thump. Um, and, and so it just kind of made sense. Oh, if I'm going to, you know, do this thing, I might mm-hmm. as well do it with them. Yeah. Um, so, so you know, launched the podcast a little less than two years ago with Thump. Um, we did 41 episodes nice. uh, before Thump was, you know, unceremoniously ceased to be sure. as of as of a couple weeks ago. Yeah. Um, and it's funny, like literally the the last one I did um, for before Thump went away was Heidi Lawton, um, who is you know DJ Harvey's manager, also okay. also her own you know uh, you know DJ, and nice. I mean she comes from Ministry of Sound in the UK and has all these great stories and. I, I knew her by reputation only, and we had e- you know had emails a couple times over some Harvey business, um, but I had never met her, mm-hmm. and and I invited her onto the show, and and it was it was great, and we you know kept talking after, and you know we're kind of still in touch, and now it's just like like a pal, I guess, cool. yeah, um, absolutely. And I was I, this is awesome, especially because you know with with you know being married and having dogs and having a kid on the way, you know. Going out is not really right. an option most yeah, of the yeah, time, of especially you know these late night, late, late, late nights, um, you know where the headline DJ is going on at two in the morning. Hey, if you're enjoying this one, let's go back in the Rebel Radio archives. Check out my talk with Them Jeans about a year ago. Them Jeans was a DJ at the club uh, Loose Tooth that Josh and I were involved in together, and it was uh, that was a great time with Steve Aoki, Frankie Chan. It was kind of at the beginning of that electro explosion um we we talk all about that stuff with them jeans if you want to go back and check that one out of course after you finish up here with josh glazer so what what's been like the biggest sort of surprise uh with with rave curious um Surprise! I, I can't believe I don't have a million listeners already. I thought it was so easy. <laughs> Mark Maron makes it look so easy. That's right. You know, Mark Maron and Joe Rogan and these guys have millions of listeners. Totally. Shouldn't this just happen? Yeah. Um. No, but that was, you know, that that was a bit of a of a again relearning the notion of you know where's your niche? Yeah. And getting back to the reality of like. Oh, okay. So putting this out there in the world does not equal critical mass, mm-hmm. um, but it doesn't have to. And and you know, and it's funny because this, it's in in a way, this was one of the first times we were talking about like, do you plan it? Like, I did have a vision for this thing. I did kind of plan this podcast okay. in a way that I haven't planned a lot of other things in my life. And so, of course, it didn't work out that way. Sure. <laughs> so, yeah, that, I mean, you know, less you know, lessons. best laid plans. Right. Um, so that was that's that was interesting. It was also it's also been interesting to learn who likes to do this, like who who's who's mm. comfortable and who's not. Okay. Um I have a couple friends that just refuse. Yeah, me too. <laughs> right? And it's like yeah. what's been your favorite moments from from the show? Um somebody made a comment and you know, the a, a review mm-hmm. On iTunes, and and it's unfortunate because I it's going that this comment's going away. So oh, right. because yeah, as I transfer to the new, yeah. there there's a way to migrate your subscribers, uh-huh. actually, which was oh, thank good. goodness. So the people yeah. who have already subscribed won't. Oh, nice. You know, aren't but you lose all the reviews and ratings and whatever. Yeah. And somebody wrote, um, it was like rave curious drinking game. Every time Josh says Detroit, <laughs> motor, <laughs> movement. 
Richie Houghton. There was like a whole list. Like that's every cool. time, every drink. Oh, that's hilarious. And it, it was, it, oh, it cracked me up. And it was like, it was like, and I'm going to assume it's somebody I don't know. You right. know, it's possible it's, it's yeah, you know, yeah. a, a friend who listens, but yeah. it's, you know. That's funny. That was, that was really, yeah. And it's just like, oh, like. I wonder what ours would be. I don't know. Yeah. We'll see. Uh, clients, branding, Maybe. but no, you you talk about a lot of other stuff. And yeah, I don't, I don't know. I think it's probably Jazzy Jeff because he does. Jazzy Jeff come up a lot. He gets a lot. He gets a lot. Why? Well, I've heard you. You always, you often ask people. You, you have that that the yeah. best DJ set. Yeah, yeah. Question. We're, we're coming. To that. <laughs> um, so yeah, so I got to get into a lightning round. All right. With you. Um, uh, so. Okay. Well, this one's not really fair because you have a lot of cool things happening. But what are you most excited about in life right now? Uh, my kid. Sure. <laughs> I mean, if I'm honest, yeah, like yeah. you know, my my firstborn's coming. Absolutely. Uh, in in a couple months, but professionally, I mean, again, we you know said the the relaunching Rave Curious, I'm super excited about, and you know, this this launch of of Content Curious, and you know, it it has it. It's it's very new. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, the, the yeah. official, co- you know, the company kind of went online or, you know, whatever, six, eight weeks ago. But it's been so great for, you know, connecting to some new people, reconnecting with old people mm. and just like, you know, having just having these conversations and then coming up with great ideas. And, yeah. you know, we'll, we'll see what, you know, what ends up having traction and what doesn't. It's it's too early to tell. But but just getting back in that mode of thinking about. Mm-hmm. what to do like what what do we want to do what do we want to make yeah I, I i love those conversations so this and is so, off topic but um do you have a do you have a plan for what kind of dad you want to be <laughs> i'm not gonna be a cool dad okay i'm and it <laughs> my, my wife said this yesterday as we were driving back from touring the hospital yeah i was i was playing uh air cowbell in the car <laughs> and, and and she's like as you do as as, as apparently you do and, and she's like you are not even you, you Remotely, and oh, it's not, okay. Not that kind of cool, Daddy. No, okay. I've got to, and it's. I, I had this moment where I was like, I am having spent so many years worried about if I was cool, which yeah. is just, I think, you know, partially what you know can maybe drive you into this world. Sure, um, absolutely. You know, but also once you're in this world, you're kind of it's, it's constantly being reinforced, absolutely. and nobody actually feels cool, yeah. even though you know everybody thinks you think you're cool. Yeah. Um, but but having this moment where it's like. Like so excited that I'm not gonna be, I'm not gonna put my kid in a Ramones onesie, and 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 okay. you know, and that's yeah, you know, nothing wrong with doing it, I guess. But I I would have done that ten years ago. That right. would have been really important to me. I'm guilty of that. I took I took Justin to a mad decent uh, uh, block mm-hmm. party in a Wu Tang T-shirt, <laughs> and like eighty hipsters, yeah, were just like fawning over him. And that's look that that's you were going somewhere, you know. It's, so it's so tell me one decision that changed your life forever. Obviously, call you know calling Scott Sterling mm. from Chicago and being like, "Dude, I want to come to L.A." Like, and it it it, it it's that's of consequence not just because I ended up moving to L.A. and starting Herb and you know obviously this whole chapter opening mm. up, um, but the decision to pick up the phone yeah. because I had never asked. For anything before, again, yeah. like I became a you know I became a writer because I was in the room. Yeah, I be you know became a right. promoter because my buddy got the job and then hired me. You know, I, I was always kind of mm-hmm. you know I never went and asked for something. Uh, so so did that stay with you? Were you able to then like keep asking for stuff? Yeah. Oh no, 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 okay. no. That's that's not my natural state. <laughs> um, All right, okay. Complete this sentence. I don't have talent. I have blank. <laughs> Gumption. <laughs> um, okay. So what other talent or skill have you always wished you had more? Um, I, I wish I was a little more musical. Mm. You know, I mean, I played some bad guitar and, you know, some some mediocre DJ sets <laughs> along the way. But yeah. it, it th- there is definitely a... A level that I, you know, don't have, and it, it would be great because most of you know, my my favorite people do have that talent, mm-hmm. and and I've always been I've always been kind of comfortable in this you know passive role. Like I, I always used to say, I was the only person I knew in Detroit who wasn't a DJ, mm-hmm. but that's because 
all my friends were the best DJs. Mm-hmm. So I I don't have to wear that hat. Yeah, absolutely. Or may, maybe I should ask her, like, maybe I should want to be better at math. Maybe maybe that would actually make life better. Well, so, <laughs> so, uh, so think about this one. What other career, totally separate area, uh, would you want if you knew you couldn't fail? If I knew I couldn't fail. Um, I, mean, I know a lot of really happy yoga instructors. <laughs> Seems like a good life, I, you know. Uh, me not being, you know, a, an exceptionally physical person. <laughs> Good one. Um, who would you be most excited to learn as a fan of your work? Um, it, it, it'd be cool if Obama listened or something, <laughs> but it, it wouldn't really. Maybe he's just closet raver. That would be that would be cool to find out, <laughs> but but I I I, I don't really need that. I don't think it, it it would be nice, but it wouldn't it wouldn't sure. change a okay. lot. Um, what's your favorite city to travel to? I mean, I love Berlin, and I I mean, I lived there for four years. Yeah. So it's 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 hard to it's hard to judge. I mean, I've I've such fond memories, and it's it's such a great place, and I've you know so many great friends. Mm-hmm. Um, I I really do love it there. There, you know, I had to make a I had to make a very clear decision when I moved back to LA two years ago. Um, because there's, there's things about Berlin that I absolutely love that do not exist in LA and never will. Nice. What's the last great book you read? Um, I just finished a great book. What was it? Um, okay. It's, it's, I just finished a Norman Mailer book. I can't remember which one right now, but everything he writes, I I love, I'm a huge fan. Uh, but maybe more interesting to this is I'm reading, this book right now called Damone Ramon. And it's 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 a fictionalized account of the Ramones as if they were actual brothers. Oh wow. And there's a fifth brother. Are they and, not brothers? No. <clears throat> That's how much no. I know. <laughs> okay. okay. Um, what movie have you seen the most? Um it's gotta be a tie between Apocalypse Now um, or Starship Troopers. Okay. I just love that movie, right. yeah. and it's you know it's it, it's a combination of what's you know what what can I not turn off? Oh yeah. no, Ghostbusters! For whatever reasons, Ray, call it fate, call it luck, call it karma. I believe that everything happens for a reason. I believe that we were destined to get thrown out of this dump. For what purpose? To go into business for ourselves. I had a realization. I see Ghostbusters probably or Purple Rain, but I'm going to go Ghostbusters only because I had a realization a year or two ago that really probably about one third of my entire adult personality is really just Bill Murray and Ghostbusters. (laughs) Like I saw that movie at just the right age and it made just the right impression that literally like like I have there's things I say there, there are quotes that just pop into my head that come out of my mouth. I don't even realize our Ghostbuster quotes. Wow. That's cool. Uh, who's your favorite DJ? <sighs> yeah, of course. Um, uh, again, should have been prepared. My my head on my automatically goes to Laurent Garnier. Okay. Um, although then I instantly right. feel bad for not naming four or five other people. <laughs> but in terms of just who did you see live that blew your mind? Um, so band like DJ or uh, or, DJ. Oh, um, Danny Teneglia. Mm. The first time I saw Danny Teneglia, really was. Did you see like one of his like was it one of his Miami gigs or yeah, something? Yeah, Miami. Yeah, I caught him at the closing night of industry in Toronto. Mm. Fun, dude. Thanks for doing this, man. dude. Absolutely. Thanks for having fun. me. Yeah. Um, uh, so. Uh, Rave Curious podcast. Yeah, yeah dot com. Um, cool. Forty one episode. Whenever this comes out, there's guaranteed forty one episodes. Yeah. Uh, Dan Teneglia, Chris Liebing, Heidi Lauden. Uh, they're all you know. DJ Sneak. You know, nice. there's a bunch of them. Yeah. Um, new episodes, and I I'm really excited about who the first episode is supposed to be. But the interview is not happening for another oh, right. two days, so I don't okay. want to say it in case it, it cancels. All right. Uh, but it's been one I've been trying to get. Um, so I'm I'm pretty pretty excited about it. Nice. 
Um, but yeah, there'll be new episodes starting, um, you know, bi-weekly cool. to start at ravecurious.com or on iTunes. Can't wait. Um, yeah, and then Content Curious is uh, is where I'm making other stuff. And nice. if anybody wants to get in touch and make some stuff, uh, contentcurious.com. Awesome. Cool. Right. Thanks, man. Thanks. All right, that was Josh Glazer on Rebel Radio. I hope you enjoyed it. I know I did. Uh, leave us a comment, a review, a shout out, whatever you want to say to us on iTunes, on Twitter, on Facebook. It's at Rebel Radio Net. Uh, make sure you check out the new YouTube channel at Rebel Radio Net. And most importantly, come back next week for more Rebel Radio. Peace. Here's a quick question for you. How did you sleep last night? If your battle for a good night's sleep feels relentless, I have the answer. It's a podcast called Sleep Wave with meditations and hypnosis created to help you fall asleep. My relaxation techniques will help you feel calm and ready for sleep with soft music that will help you fall asleep in minutes. Most listeners never hear the end of an episode. So search Sleep Wave on your favorite podcast app and find out why over a million people have fallen asleep to my voice.